Hey there, what's up everyone? It's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 216. And I gotta say, this week's episode has been one of my favorites. Because anytime that I can jump on the line with a fellow soldier who can really slap some reality into the survival industry about the truth about what surviving a real collapse is like. Well, it gets me all tingly in my tactical parts. Um, so this is, a, this is a real gift this week. And what's really cool about this week is that you're going to get both a fun dose of fiction and some real-world training about how to survive when it seems like the whole world is crumbling around you after a wide-scale infrastructure collapse. It's all coming up next, but first, don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes, including a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the highlights you need to know. All you need to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 216 and download it all for free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. If you're my age, which some mornings feels like about the same age as dirt, you might remember that one of the most disturbing television movies that ever aired on television was called The Day After, and it was a fictional version of the horrifying effects of nuclear war. Most importantly, it painted a bleak picture of life the way that it would be for those surviving such a disaster. And the movie seemed to really touch off a golden age of Cold War post-apocalyptic entertainment. And while it was by no means the first disaster movie or apocalypse film, it remains one of the most famous. And since then, disaster and apocalypse movies and television series like The Walking Dead, or movies like The Road have made apocalypse entertainment very much mainstream. But have you ever stopped to wonder why we enjoy disaster entertainment? I think it's because we always ask ourselves, what would I do in that situation? And somewhere deep down inside, we know that many of these scenarios are very real threats that we could face today. But in an area where most people believe that they know about a topic because of the entertainment they consume, can you really learn something about survival from entertainment? If, say, a Green Beret wrote a novel about a fictional disaster, could you learn how to survive a real emergency based on his take on that scenario? Well, the answer is yes, and that's what we're here to discover today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. In this episode, my question isn't just theoretical. Today, we're here to talk with Jeff Kirkham, who's written a novel that is a survival-based fictional that covers some of these hard-earned lessons that he's learned on the battlefield and how it applies to apocalyptic events. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on again. I, I really appreciate it. No, it's, it's always great. Anytime I can tap into this kind of experience, is great. And congratulations on the release of the new novel. Uh, I, my copy is on its way, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. And uh, for those of you out there, if you haven't learned from our past interviews with Jeff uh, who he is, he spent almost 29 years as a Green Beret with just over eight years of boots-on-the-ground experience in Afghanistan and Iraq. He was, in fact, a member of a counterterrorist direct action unit. And somehow he managed to still study six foreign languages, earn a bachelor's degree, write multiple books, earn multiple registered patents, one of which is the Rats Tourniquet, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, and manages passion project 
Ready Man, which is a member-based community for developing survival skills based on his military experience and, and communicating those to even everyday citizens. In fact, the joke around the Ready Man office is that if a Neanderthal, James Bond, and Q had a baby, that would be Jeff. And now he's written a novel that just might teach <laughs> you how to survive an emergency. It's called Black Autumn, and it covers the journey of a team of extreme berets who pull together to face a new world after a nuclear event takes down our country's infrastructure. Now, you can watch the trailer for the new book and pick up your own copy at www.blackautumn.com. All right, Jeff, so I'm really, I'm really um, curious about this because I do believe that you can learn a lot, even from the entertainment, but it's hard to really kind of decipher between, you know, fact and fiction, reality and fantasy for those people that haven't had the kind of experience that you had. So what I love about this book is that you incorporate a lot of lessons learned in this, but it's in a really, you know, in a great, in a great format that people can really learn from. And again, for everybody out there, this is basically, I'm giving you like the nutshell with no spoilers here. Um, but basically, a nuclear event takes down our country's infrastructure, and a team of ex-Green Berets pull together and really have to kind of journey through this and, and work out how they're going to protect one another and sustain things like that. And I haven't read the book yet, but you can watch the trailer, and it will show you almost like a, a movie trailer of what the book actually covers. And go check that out over at blackautumn.com. But, Jeff, here's my thing. With your history of high levels of leadership within the military – this is about a nuclear event, but what do you see as the major, like, shit hits the fan events that really could literally change our world as we know it? And of that, which one do you think is the most critical that, that kind of keeps you up at night? Like, I know this one was about a nuclear event, but what are the things that people should really know? These aren't just fantasy. These are events that could happen. Which one do you think is really the most, I guess, probable? I know it's kind of a roll of the dice sometimes, depends on what's going on, but I'd like to get your opinion about what's the one that you think really is um is is kind of on the horizon most. You know, overwhelmingly when we were putting this book together and and I think folks should know that when when we were writing this book it started out and and stayed a, a wargaming exercise where we said what would we do? What do we think the knowns, the unknowns uh are how would we deal with those? What have we forgotten? What have we taken into consideration so the so the book really is our take on what we think what we think would happen and how we'd handle it intermixed with um some great entertainment as well so it's a it's a an easy fast read for for folks and it's also a series of books so this isn't the first one we've got multiple books that are on the way we actually have a we have a, a companion novel uh called black autumn travelers um that that's uh we're given that as a thank you to people who buy the book. But what we, you know, when we looked at this, we said, Hey, you know, in the, in the, the nuke on the cover of the book is the grabber. And really uh, the book is inconsequential, um, but it causes a chain reaction of problems. And so all of this, you know, the, the term was kind of coined by somebody else. It was called a, a black swan event where you have a bunch of inconsequential events that take place that all of a sudden become overwhelming and lead to a critical incident. So one thread would not pull things down, but you bind enough threads together, you have a rope, and that can anchor and pull stuff down. And so what we do, and then how we put this together when we were originally talking about it was, how would this happen? And we looked at history, and, you know, lo and behold, there were several incidents that were just like that 
all throughout history and on average about every 60 years it's happening in the US it just hasn't caused a topple yeah so so the nuclear event you think i mean and it really kind of depends on the news right like one thing and one day you know north korea is just sending missiles in any which way just to kind of get everybody's uh craw but um, there are other events I know, and we've seen how natural disasters hit, but are there other events that you think really could have an effect on, like, our country's infrastructure and cause nationwide crisis? Absolutely. I mean, we've saw, we saw that World War One is probably the best example that we can that we can think of. But World War One by itself, you know, was was horrible. But the thing that turned it into a war to end all wars wasn't bullets; it was the Spanish flu. And so now all of a sudden we had, we had a, a perfect storm that came together. We had a war that attracted a bunch of young, healthy men that were kept in close quarters that then traveled. And by all, by best accounts, the Spanish flu actually originated in Kansas. So U.S. doughboys took the Spanish flu across to Europe. Um, and the Spanish flu is kind of particular in that it attacks the healthy more than it attacks the young and the old, because a young, healthy um, immune system will fight back so strongly, it creates fiber in the lungs and essentially kills people almost within hours. So there were 25% of some army units that were that were killed by the Spanish flu. So now all of a sudden, when you start talking about 100 million people died of the Spanish flu, not to mention all the other people in World War One, you have a horrendous event that took place. And that was compounded by the government wouldn't talk about it. And it was actually only the Spanish government that would talk about it is why they got the finger pointed at them. And it was called the Spanish flu. All of this while World War One was going on that compounded and made this huge cataclysmic event uh, that took place. And, and we've actually we see this repeatedly in history, you know, is. As early as 2009, the, the collapse, the financial collapse that happened, we had a couple of events that by themselves would not have been a big deal. But the fact that all of a sudden banks were investing in bad debt and whatnot and the insurance companies were starting to fall, all of a sudden we came very close to toppling our entire financial uh, system. And, we, and we've really, we've seen this over and over again. The Great Depression is yet another one. And so what we did with the book is we said, what, what is the probability of threat? Whenever we teach, um, close quarter battle, um, we say, hey, always seek the probability of threat. The muzzle should go towards the probability of threat. So we took that line of thinking and we said, what is the probability of threat in the United States that could cause a topple that would then in turn cause the rest of the world to stumble as well. And that's what we wrote into the book. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's really interesting because most people just look at direct, you know, cause and effect when, you know, there is a chain of things that by, it's, it's pretty amazing how things combined at just the right time can just magnify the, uh, the, the effect on, on our infrastructure. And everybody, like literally everybody who's read the book, um, has come back and overwhelmingly the feedback we get from people is, oh my gosh, this is terrifying because this could actually happen. Because yeah. it's not just one event, it's, it's a few inconsequential events that, that tied together become so huge. So the, the example that I like to tell people is, imagine Think about the drain that Katrina was on the resources of not just the state of Louisiana, 
not just the states that were surrounding Louisiana and their citizens that were trying to help, but also of the federal government. So you had this huge drain on resources. So now think about if Katrina happened. Now let's add something else that that very likely could happen, an earthquake, a massive earthquake in California that they say that we're 100 years overdue for, that then in turn causes a wildfire that we've been witnessing all summer long right now. So we've got two natural disasters that are taking place that are huge resource drains, and then just throw in maybe a Russian or a Chinese or just some fat kid in his basement with his finger over a button that goes, what would happen if I shut out, shut off the power in New York right now? Mm-hmm. Then the cataclysmic or the, the domino effect of, of what could potentially happen, uh, it, it doesn't take much of imagination to go, oh, my gosh, that would be cataclysmic. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, let's talk about what, you know, in these types of events and, and drawing off of the book also, because I know Black Autumn is a fictional novel, but it's also based upon observations that you've made with like real boots on the ground experience with, you know, 29 years being in the military and being in combat. So for those people out there who haven't been combat soldiers, you know, it's really hard for them to imagine what life would be like living in, in that kind of environment where there, there's no real infrastructure. So what are some of those eye opening factors that you've introduced in the novel as challenges that the characters face that you think most citizens really would be shocked to see after a real world collapse or an event like this? Well, I, I think first and foremost, the, the big, the number one shocker would be the emotional, physical, and psychological exhaustion that, that takes place. Because you're, you end up with a group of people, you're, they're working like they've never worked before by pure survival, whether they're moving their family, carrying their, their sons and daughters on their back to a place that's of safety or digging out their homes. So you've got physical, you've got physical exhaustion taking place. Then you've got the psychological exhaustion that takes place because you you can never, and anybody that's ever been in a combat zone can identify with this, you never really get good sleep. You're always kind of somewhat awake. You're always kind of, and depending on the level of a danger that's around you is determines how much real sleep you get. So that, you know, that thousand-yard stare that we talk about with soldiers and stuff, that that comes from days and days and days, weeks and weeks of lack of sleep and just starting to drone out and really getting lost a little bit in your own head so that you can survive. And then finally, the emotional exhaustion that take place, loss of family members, loss of neighbors and friends and community, loss of all of your earthly possessions, all of those things compounded together, you know, psychological, emotional, and physical exhaustion combined together that give us that, you know, if you think about the, the, Iconic photos of soldiers with a thousand yard stare. That's where that comes from. Those three things that are just all of them put together. Um, and so I think number one, that's the biggest thing that people just don't, that they're not prepared for. Um, and we try to capture that in the book. There are those that immediately accept what's going on and say, yep, this is just like combat. Um, and then the, all the way to those people that resist, resist, resist until they reach the point where it's like, no, the world's not coming back and we're going to have to accept this new paradigm. Yeah. And even just uh, for those people out there that think, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm mentally strong. I'm tough. Maybe people have been, you know, we have a lot of police officers that listen to our 
for our podcast. We have a lot of military contractors overseas listening to our podcast. We have a lot of soldiers to listen to it. And so people that have this kind of inoculation distress think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm not too worried about that. But then there's also, you know, your family members or other people, maybe it's even your elderly parents that you're taking care of that might be a strain that it might be stressful to you that you didn't, you didn't think about that stressor or you have to be there for your family. That's not, you know, they haven't had the experiences that you had. And so it's, you know, all of a sudden what you think is manageable when it's just you as part of like a military squad or, you know, your police, you and your partner, all of a sudden that changes when you're looking at civilians who, who haven't been inoculated like this. And that's even more draining as well as, and, and taking care of them. So, yeah, you know, it, I think it's and, really natural. And, you know, that's really the power. Go ahead. As, as, I was just going to add to that. I think that's really the power of what we did with this book, because I didn't write this alone. It was I have a, there's a co-author, Jason Ross, who's a co-author. He'd never been in the military, never been a police officer, um, but died in the wool uh, survivalist and, 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 you know, prepper and. Um, out, a very accomplished outdoorsman, but he very much, you know, my paradigm after having dealt with the military for so long is, you know, is that military law enforcement mindset. He brought in the other mindset where he would say, where he would ask me, what do you think would happen at a scenario like this? Or how would we defend in a scenario like this? Or how would you keep people from breaching the wire in a scenario like this? And I'd go, well, they, you know, and I'd give the textbook military answers and you'd go, okay, so, but regular people don't think that way and you're going to run into problems because you've got to convince them because we don't all of a sudden throw our hands up in the air and go, well, I guess the military and police are involved at this point. We didn't, we don't, we didn't even see that in Afghanistan. We didn't see that in Iraq. We didn't see that in Haiti. There was still the communities that were around. So there's that human, there was that human psychology, that human portion that was in there that we, that we worked really hard to capture in the book to give it balanced. So it's like the, the military versus, Hey, this is the reality here though, of when you're dealing with, with other human beings who you care about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring that up and it's really, I think it's, it shows a lot of insight to bring in somebody that's not a military person because it's natural for soldiers to approach any kind of crisis from like a tactical mindset, right. From experience. So for a former green beret, it makes total sense to you know place security as a primary concern and band together in this book these these combat hardened soldiers to kind of journey through and, and be able to sustain themselves. But not everyone has that convenience of of having their own spec ops assault team on speed dial, right? So my next question for you is how how critical is it for the average citizen to build this kind of like a a defense squad for personal protection after a, a cataclysmic event like this. I mean, we've seen this even in now it's commonplace, even if you see like a natural disaster, like a hurricane come in, like, you know, guys grab their ARs and, you know, two cases of beer and spray paint a sign of like, you know, anti-looter defense zombie squad or whatever. But how important, and we even saw this like even during the, like the Rodney King riots, right? Like that was where we really started to see it when the Korean shopkeepers banded together and their shops weren't burned. So, in this type of an event, based on like your book, how important is it for people to to really think of like security minded like that with their own? I call it a defense squad, but how how critical is that? 
community, we've come to believe after deep diving this now for several years and testing out numerous different scenarios and bug outs and, and places. And we have come to believe in our research, looking at past civil wars, looking at civil unrest in Bosnia, the Philippines, Haiti, Africa, Somalia, Kenya, um, you know, and on and on and on. First and foremost is your, your community. You cannot do it all alone. The idea of somebody putting on a backpack and going into the mountains and living off the, off the wild is, is a fatal fantasy that will be short lived and end up dying off very quickly. You have to have a community if you're going to survive and history supports us. There's a reason why the families were so big and not that long ago because more family members meant ultimately more security, more security being more hands that could work, more security that could then protect the farm and protect the family. The families gave way to homesteads. The homesteads gave way to villages. Villages gave way to cities or towns. Towns gave way to cities. All of this was for mutual support. Whatever the threat is, whether that's a tiger lurking in the jungle, all the way up to the threat of financial issues, we bind together as human beings because that's what put us on the top of the food chain. Not because we're the smartest, the fastest, the strongest, the biggest teeth, the sharpest claws, but because we we work together as a cohesive group. And consequently, that's why I believe the U.S. military is the best military on planet Earth. Not because we're the strongest, not because we're the smartest, not certainly not because we're the most organized, because it's chaos half the time, but because we work better as cohesive units than anybody else on planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. You know, I think um, when it comes to these types of novels, I think when they're written by somebody that really knows what they're talking about based upon experience, not based upon media or fantasy or anything like that, they really do offer a lot of valuable survival information that has a real life application, which is where we started this whole podcast, which was, you know, can you really learn something from these fictional novels? And I think part of that answer is, well, yes, if it's written well, and it's written by somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about, check and check for, for you and your book, but without any significant spoiler alerts for anybody, um, can you give us maybe like a specific, like a brief scenario from the book of a, of a challenge that this team faced where you've subtly programmed in like a survival lesson that readers could pull out of that situation and how they dealt with it. Absolutely. So it, at one point we're trying to control our, our area, our area of influence or, you know, the homestead is what it's called in the book. And we're trying to control the, the homestead and, and have a buffer between us and everybody else that's out there starving. And, um, so that we can protect our families. And, and actually, um, you know, there's a character in there that's Jeff Kirkham. Um, that's one of the characters. It starts off as pretty rough, pretty rough individual, but throughout the course of the book realizes that hitting everything with a hammer, you know, when you, when you're a blacksmith, everything's a hammer and an anvil and, and treating everything like that doesn't, doesn't work and that you've got to have both sides. And so there's a, there's actually, there's kind of a pinnacle point in the book where um, there's trespassers, you know, we're shooting warning shots at trespassers to keep people away. And the regular citizens that, that make up part of the homestead, because you need doctors and you need nurses and you need, you know, people that arguably are a little bit more on the touchy feely side of, 
of of the profession are all the they're up in arms because remember the homestead is kind of living in a little bit of a bubble in um and and they're shooting at uh excuse me shooting warning shots at trespassers well one of the trespassers uh ends up getting shot and I won't I won't tell you exactly what happened there ends up getting shot and we're right on the edge of of a total mutiny inside the homestead but I think it perfectly I think it perfectly sets up and shows that it doesn't matter you could be the the you know baddest green beret or seal or whatever and live the life of doing whatever but you can't think of you can't think of everything it's it's almost impossible and we constantly were going back and rewriting in the novel just simply because we would think of something or read something or or see something that we'd go oh man we hadn't thought of that we we have to address that in the book and so and we'd go back and and put that into the book so without too much of a spoiler alert yeah there's there's a, there's a couple of pretty pretty uh climatic moments in the book of of like oh my gosh are these guys going to even make it and so yeah i think the other thing with that as well i i've i've talked about this so many times either with our with our own um like new world patriot alliance um um presentations that we've done or um, in podcast interviews about the the reality of the psychological aspect of combat itself, but even overseas, even in combat, even even shooting the enemy um, is really hard, like mentally. Like you, I, I, I just remember, and I, I think you know, other people may have heard me told this story before, but you know, that first time I ever pulled the trigger, all I could think about was, God, I have kids back home. I wonder if this person that I'm pulling the trigger on has kids. Like, I wonder if they're as scared as my kids. I wonder if this person's as scared as I am. And it's just, it's really weird. But I think for people that haven't experienced, whether you're a police officer or, or you're like not a police officer, civilians out there, it's, I, it's always this thing in your mind. And this is where I think there is a, a, a kind of a departure from fantasy and from the movies is that it always looks cool in the movies. Yeah. The bad guy should have died. Right. And in reality, we're, we're really not programmed that way. It doesn't mean you won't pull the trigger, but we've certainly seen people that have come back with full magazines that just couldn't pull the trigger. And it doesn't matter. I've told this before on, on other things. Um, but you know, I've seen like Rambo type individuals roll up into a ball and cry and not be able to do anything. And I've seen guys that were this, the total doofuses of our, of our platoon just like just suddenly go charging somewhere to go help out a fellow soldier. And you really don't know, no matter how much you think you do, of how you're going to react in this type of a scenario. So the, the fact that you've put like those psychological dynamics into the novel, people should really look at that. That's not just for drama. Like that really is reality. Yes. Yes. Very, very, very much so. And, and I think, you know, more than anything, the, the goal of this, of this, novel was we wanted people to come away from it and think we really wanted them to to you know kind of put their chin on the chest and 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 think holy cow man where where do i fit in all of this and even knowing um hey am, if, am i going to rise or am i going to fail at the moment of truth well you know nobody's going to say well i'm going to fail at the moment of truth yeah. But you certainly increase your chances of your survivability of yourself and most importantly, your loved ones, your family and your kids. 
by by making sure that you're surrounded by other competent, strong people. And strong, I mean, there's a broad brush strokes where, you know, it can be anything. It can be emotionally strong. It doesn't have to be physically strong. It can be emotionally strong or psychologically strong. And so in building, build that community because these black swan events that we wrote about in black autumn, these black swan events, they happen and they're going to continue to happen. And, and the fact that we've, that we've managed to kind of skirt uh, what has happened in the past is really a miracle. The more I read about the history of the United States, the more I'm, the more I'm in awe that it's a complete miracle that our country hasn't fallen completely fallen apart not once, not twice, but literally dozens of times, and that it's just somehow held together. And that's where it's like, man, we're playing roulette. So how much longer can we keep it together? I don't know, but I, I do know that that the the self reliance of its of its citizens is what will keep it together. And the more the more that we rely on some ambiguous, amorphous thing called the government. The, the more we become, you know, dependent on them, the more fragile we become. But I, but as a group, the more that we rely on each other and our community, our churches, our, our schools, our, our just our neighborhoods, the actually the stronger that, that we become. Yeah. Well said, man. Well said. So listen, uh, right now you've just launched the, the novel. So you've got a special thing that's happening right now for people that go ahead and, and go grab their own copy. So can you explain a little bit about what you've got going on as part of this kind of short-term launch process for you? Absolutely. So if they go to, if they go to Amazon.com or they can go to Barnes and Noble and they can purchase a book and we ask probably one of the, one of the single best things that you could do to help us out is leave a review. Um, because that forces that forces both of those companies that to, to put the book in front of more people's uh, faces when it comes up. So leave us a review, good or bad. I mean, we got we got thick skin. So, but um, leave us a review first and foremost. Um, and then when you when you purchase the book, if you go to blackautumn.com, we've got we've got a bunch of thank yous that are in there. One of them is we've got the companion novel that we called Black Autumn Travelers. When we wrote the original novel, we had so much that we'd put together that we actually cut out uh, three of the characters and there was enough there that we, we made a novel that allowed us to uh, build out the characters on black autumn one and then black autumn 1.5 or travelers. Um, it allowed us to develop some really cool characters and those characters actually it's taking place at the same time, but they're not in Utah. They're trying to get to Utah. So there's some, some really powerful lessons that are in there t- as well. So they get that, they'll get the digital copy for free. They get entered to win a, um, all expenses paid, come to Utah and spend a day or two with me shooting and going over kind of Jeff's take on the world on what, um, firearms, pistol, carbine stuff, uh, you know, can and should look like, you know, based off of, and and it'll be a blast. We'll have a lot of fun too. And then, and then finally you get access to our, uh, our free bug out bag builder. The plan to bug out, plan to bug out, and you can get in there and, and start diving into um, building your own bug out bag and seeing where you're at on the preparedness level. And it's all based off of stuff that we tested over at over at Ready Man. And then we're we're constantly coming up with other thank you stuff uh, for folks too as they as they get more you know entrenched or more involved in in the Ready Man community. 
Awesome. Cool. All right. Listen, everybody, uh, you'll actually find links to over to the book and as well as all the thank yous that are there. You can check it all out. There's a really great video trailer there that tells you more about the book and you see Jeff and the other author talking about it as well. So there's a lot of information over there. All you have to do is just go over to the website for it, which is at www.blackautumn.com. Go check it out. I'm really excited about getting my copy and, uh, go, go over there and grab a copy. So, and, until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.